Hello and welcome to Grace Unscripted, where we share stories of the people in and around Grace Church without any script, just real, raw conversations about life change through Jesus. I'm your host, Audrey Wallace, and today we have a conversation with Amy Cubbins. All right, guys, Amy Cubbins, when I think back on our conversation, uh, two words come to mind, and they're be strong. She says it. You'll hear it. Listen for it. I had to be strong for mom. I had to be strong for work. I had to be strong. There's so many areas that she did that throughout her life. And as she reflected back on it, um, and she shares that really it was God in all those moments, and she has to turn that back and say, not my will, not my strength, but yours, God, yours be done. Her story is beautiful. It's painful. It's deep, guys. And I think that you're really going to learn a lot from her today. Hey, Amy, thanks for being here. Hi, Audrey. Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you. We have realized we have a lot of crossing paths, but we've never actually sat across from one each other, one another and spoken. So welcome to Unscripted. Glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, well, let's rewind your story, and I'd love to get to know you from the very beginning. Um, Did you grow up in the Akron area? Are you from Ohio? Um, I am. I was born in Maslin and um, had two sisters and one brother. Um, Big age difference. My brother was eight years older, sister 10, and another sister 12 years. So um, obviously I've been prepared, so I, like you said, we'll just dive right in, but... um, so I was the baby. I was nicknamed Boo Boo. Boo Boo. Um, is there a story behind that? Well, injuries, but also <laughs> sad to say, like I was mistaken. and it was told that. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. So you knew I, that yeah, from when you were I look, young. I look back now and I'm like, wow, that's not a real positive nickname to have and give your kid. Like you were a mistake. But <laughs> I often wonder yeah. about that when you hear the stories as adults talking yeah. about it. But does the kid know? And yeah, when do oh, they yeah, find out? And- I had a softball trophy that said that. I don't even know if my husband knows that story. He does now. But <laughs> <laughs> Wow, um, that's funny. So yeah, I'm I'm going to dive into two deep, um, two deep stories. And with it, I'm probably going to be somewhat vague for two things. Um, one, both of these are not my story. Mm-hmm. And two, out of respect to my family. So okay. um, as I roll, please just stop me with anything that you have questions or anything sure about. Will. But um, I was five years old, and my oldest sister um, got pregnant. She was probably 16 at the time. Mm. Um, my dad had given her an ultimatum, which wasn't good. And at that moment, she made a decision to move to Florida and um, live with my aunt. Okay. Um, she ended up giving that baby up for adoption. Wow, okay. But looking back and thinking about all this, she's one of the strongest people I ever knew. But mm. um she had that baby in the hospital for five days mm-hmm. and took care of her. Mm-hmm. And um, before she gave her up, and the woman that adopted her ended up being my aunt's friend. And so mm-hmm. as I grew up, I kind of knew her and she knew us, but she didn't know that I was her aunt, mm-hmm. only six years older. Wow. And I can touch base on that later, but um, she ended up finding us later when she was 15, her adopted mom died. So she's back in our family and she's involved. And my sister goes to Florida to see her and she comes up here and it's super cool. But that's like kind of the first, one of your, my first childhood memories. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, six, about six, seven months later, my um, 14 year old brother committed suicide. Oh my. So we have 
a, a six-year-old who mm. now has this unstable childhood of mm -hmm. knowing, you know, my sister getting pregnant and this happening. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, I would say that there was a lot of um, unhealthiness in my home. I didn't know much, but it, looking back, it was, it was not a healthy home. Mm. And um, I think he had, he had had a plan with a friend who did not carry it out, oh my. but my brother did. And um, this had been apparently thought about and, and planned because I remember leaving with my mom and dad and my older sister stayed home and him, and he stood at the end of the driveway and waved. Mm. And it was the strangest thing because, you know, you said goodbye, but yeah. he stood and watched us drive down the road. And you remember that. And I remember, yeah. Mm. Um, my older sister was home at the time, and she, um, he was kind of around the house. He had music blaring, slamming things. Mm -hmm. And she went downstairs, and on the basement den, he had written prick on my dad's den. Mm. And she came up and she said, Danny, what are you doing? Dad is going to kill you. And so he went down. He tried to scrape it off. Couldn't get it off. Came upstairs, shut his bedroom door and shot wow. himself in the head. That is so hard. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, so she, my sister was home and she found him. Um, he lived for three days. Wow. And my mom actually donated his organs and saved five people's lives. Wow. It's the only glimmer of life yeah. in a story like that that you can still cling to, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, even though I was so young, I remember a lot of it, but I remember that he loved me. Yeah. Like he had told, he, he, absolutely just took care of my sisters and my mom and I. Mm. Um, and like I said, there's a lot more to that story. Yeah. My my dad was a cop and he was a hunter and he had guns in the house. Mm. Um, but my brother was 14 and he was young. Mm -hmm. um, so forwarding mm. a bit right after that, my parents divorced and mm. my mom and my um, middle sister and I moved to Florida and my, my grandma was there. So she kind of took care of us and um, came in. My, it was a, right before my sister's senior year. So she grew up, lived here, and then my mom uproots her and moves her mm. out to Florida. She struggled yeah. with things that I won't mention, but um, yeah. but yeah, that was very that hard for her. really hard to age Yeah, especially when, exactly. And then the older sister was left back and um, all of this mm. major trauma going on within the, you know a year. Um, so she shortly moved out, and it was basically my mom and I who, from that moment of my brother's suicide, was an entire life of mental illness for her, mm, of yes. depression, yeah. nervous breakdowns. Um, at that moment, I would say that I became the mom. Okay. At, at how old? At, at this six point? years old. Yeah. <laughs> and it was literally not because it was because she was paralyzed of yeah. grief. She was, only she just, yeah, she um, carried a lot of guilt and a lot of responsibility. Um, and she was the woman who loved and loved hard and would give her shirt mm. off her back and just always felt like there should have been a sign or what could she have done, yeah. et cetera. So um, she worked probably two jobs 
just to try and keep food on the table, send me to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we grew up Catholic, and so she was very determined to do that. Um, like I said, money was tight. My grandma would help, but I remember vividly in fifth grade her having her moments, and it would always be around like his anniversary or, um, you know, he this was July 15th and July 18th he died and she would relive this. And my grandma would be like, Betty, it's Mm -hmm. time to move on. But, you know, she was so involved in the church and she'd get into compassionate friends, but she still could not get past this. Mm -hmm. Um, I just remember her laying in bed crying and we had no money and no clean towels. And I remember washing towels Mm -hmm. in the bathtub Mm -hmm. because she didn't have 50 cents to go to the laundromat. (laughs) Like it was that bad. Um, and I, like I said, I just remember feeling like I had to like just grow up and yeah. even though I was a kid, I had to kind of take care of her. Do because things, she, yeah, yeah, adult-like things right. that a six-year-old wouldn't have generally experienced. Right. Yep. Wow. Um, after this, my, my dad stayed here. He continued working. He remarried, but um, he would fly me up twice a year. And I would stay with him in the summer and at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister, oldest sister, was also here. And so I would visit with her. And um, I felt like he really was trying to repair any relationships mm-hmm. and any any loss of me being down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that he was making, you know, his best, his best effort in doing that. Mm-hmm. And then in seventh grade, my mom decided she wanted to come back to Ohio. Um, she had grandkids, which was my oldest sister's um, kids here, and she wanted to be um, with them. And so she brought myself back here. My um, middle sister had, at that point, had already moved off to California, had met a a man that she married and moved Mm -hmm. off there. Um, And so she came back, and I would say that around eighth grade was probably the biggest peak of her mental illness. Okay. and when I use that word, I say it because I know it's such a common word right now. And like Jeff just did this whole series on it not mm-hmm. that long ago. And I'm not talking about teaching kids grit. Like we are all about making my boys men and mm-hmm. <laughs> kids needing to toughen up. I'm talking true mental breakdown, schizophrenia, depression. Okay. And I remember eighth grade, her being admitted to the state hospital because you have a woman with no insurance mm-hmm. and I'm in the medical field and it's ugly. And when you have mental illness and no insurance in the state hospital is ugly. Mm -hmm. And I had to be 16 to visit. Wow. No, I had to be, yeah, I had to be 16. And so my sister would dress me up and put makeup on and drag me in there to see her, which be strong. I I, I was always told when I was young, be strong. You got to be strong for mom. Mm. You know, we got We got to go see her. I don't even know that she had any concept of what was going on because when she was off her pills or when she had her moments, it was bad. And I still was like traumatized by psychiatric. It was not just psychiatric, but it was almost so much darkness mm. too. Mm-hmm. That was like, wow, being in here, I'd go in there, see her come back out. And, you know, when she'd have these breakdowns, I'd be living with my sister. My my dad was here. He was in Worcester, but again, mm-hmm. not, I didn't see him much. She would get herself straightened back out, get back on meds, and she was healthy again. Mm -hmm. But multiple ups and downs all throughout um, her life ever since, you know, my brother's death. But we did have a huge support system. Good friends of mine's parents would kind of sweep me up and help. And like I said, I was in a good school, good good surrounding. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, Audrey, the funny thing is that um, 
I was Catholic. I went to Catholic school. And I had a friend's mom bringing me like these novenas and these prayers. Mm. And I remember my mom being at one of her dark moments and, you know, having these breakdowns. And I remember praying. And I was like, this brought me peace. This feels good. Mm. I remember sitting in my bedroom thinking, oh, God, are you asking me to be a nun? Like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's like the only option, maybe. Like <laughs> extreme spiritual <laughs> jump all the way to nun. Yes, this is what I have to I kind of maybe want to get married or have kids. But, yeah. you know, and that was kind of this first experience of like, okay, I'm going to say these prayers. I'm going to say this. It didn't change the situation per se. Okay. As quickly as you would think, you know, like it's not, it wasn't this like I'm eighth grade. I'm, I'm raised in a church, you know, mm-hmm. but I know that this was a comfort. Mm. I knew that I was getting something from it. And that was probably the first time that mm-hmm. was like, okay, I, this works. You heard um, those whispers. You felt yeah. that warmth. Yeah. And that stuff that only God can do. Right. And then my senior year of um, high school, my middle sister was like, you're going to college. Like, can't rely on a man. You need to get an education and I'm going to help you. And here's me like, okay, I don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll be a nurse because do I really want to take care of people? (laughs) I've been taking care of my mom. Mm -hmm. Not really, but um, I was intrigued by the body and Mm. loved, you know, believed in how God created the body and thought that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went off to Walsh and I recruited my freshman year because I, my mom, again, I felt like still needed me. And so I was home trying to like make sure she was doing okay. And then again, it was my sister's like, you need, you need to go. You need to go. You need go off yes. on, to be on campus. It's Thirty minutes away, experience. but you need to stay there. Yeah, <laughs> you can visit mom. She'll be okay. Yeah. And so while I was there, I met my husband, and um, he was pretty much my hero. Mm. <laughs> Came into a very dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Came into a mess, but also loved me for that. Okay. And I felt like it was just a perfect opportunity to um, feed healthy instability, which I didn't have. There was no stability. And it was like, here's this guy with a great family mm. coming in. He would bring me roses every day. Well, three times a week, probably. Come mm-hmm. home from work, bring me a single rose. And then we got married. I'm like, all right, I don't even like flowers. They die. We can stop this. <laughs> but I love your heart. <laughs> That's very sweet. Um, so you were in college when you met. And did you get married while you were still in college? Or? Actually, we graduated and then um, got married and settled in North Canton, okay. which was right yeah. near Walsh. And how God works is so cool. He um, placed us, first house, he placed us right next to an older couple who literally became parents to me. Mm. And it was, you would say, like maybe your spiritual mentors or your spiritual mom and dad. Um, They're still living. Mm. Frank is like in his 90s and she's in her late 80s. I actually go back and see them. But they were here for every step. So she, you know, he'd come over and fix things. Um, But to back up just a bit to bring something else um, up is that through nursing school, which was hard, and through um, not just college, but dealing with a lot of childhood wounds, Mm. um, I struggled with an eating disorder. And it would be anorexia, bulimia, binge and purge, Mm. anything. Probably, you know, counselors would say it was probably the healthiest thing that I could have run to Mm. (laughs) compared to drugs, alcohol, or whatever options. Yeah, like a piece of your life you could control, perhaps. Right, exactly. And it was never about 
the food. It was about control. Mm -hmm. It was about um, the hole in the soul Mm -hmm. that you're trying to fill. Mm -hmm. But what I did um, to try and get a grip of that is I started to attend 12-step program in Canton. And I would just go to open AA meetings and found a home there. Okay. I read the big book front to back multiple times Mm -hmm. and had sponsors. And I will tell you if there's a way that I ever retire and can dedicate Mm. my time it's going to be with addicts because I have a true passion I have a deep respect for these people I um I'm just such an advocate because I think everybody could benefit but I feel like it was in that program that I found God Mm. and then it was through my old neighbors that I found Christianity Mm, okay so Mm. I felt like I could experience even though that big book, they say it's based off the book of James and they refer to the higher power Mm -hmm. and that stuff. It made me understand. It kind of took the Catholicism out that I had this deep rooted religion, but I didn't have a spirituality or a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then these neighbors next door Mm -hmm. who were very strong Christians, but, um, had taught me, okay, this is how you pray to Jesus. Yeah. Oh, well, I thought you like said a scripted prayer. Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this. It's like dear God versus hey Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so it wasn't just the way that they loved on me. And you know, thinking now, like I can kind of relate them to Grace and my mm-hmm. Grace family because that's what they did. They just swept us up and it was this young married couple and they just came in and he literally they, they've walked through everything, and she would be the one that I would call, and they, they're just amazing people. Um, but it was so good to, like, kind of finally find the puzzles, pieces connecting mm-hmm. through the those different avenues, mm-hmm. I guess. To Did find. your husband come to your relationship with the Foundation of Faith? He did, and that's interesting because I'm getting to that because, remember, he— also grew up in Catholic school. He was an altar boy. We went to Catholic university. Yeah. Um, and so this is, we married Catholic. And when I started stepping out of the bounds, mm. he was a little hesitant at first, mm-hmm. you know? Like that doesn't stand yeah. up with, uh, fit in with my stand up, right. sit down, fight, 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 Which, walk away. Yes. It's yes. And it's scripted. Starting and, to intertwine a little bit more into the heartstrings yeah. and into the fabric of your life. Yeah. Um, which is ironic because that's exactly where I was going next with this is that um, we lived in North Canton and then um, decided to settle up here in Norton because I worked in Canton at a hospital and he got a job in Cleveland Mm -hmm. as a a college women's soccer coach. Mm -hmm. So the coach's wife is probably one of the most fabulous roles to ever have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we came halfway and I could go south and he could go north and we were kind of church hopping here and I worked with an ER doc named Tony Lascano that was like, hey, you, you got to try this church. Like mm-hmm. he lived up here, but he worked in Canton. He's like, you got to try this church. It's so cool. Like there's a band and they, they have tattoos and <laughs> they drink coffee. And I'm like, no, you, like, you don't drink before communion. Well, they don't have communion. I'm like, what? Wow. Like, yeah. Now, what stage of your marriage was that? Oh, boy. How, so, like what year around? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. We were primary seven years. Okay. So... 2007, so we came to Grace 2008. Okay. After we visited the Apostolic Church on Medina Line Road. That's a whole other story. I had no idea what that was like. (laughs) Sounds fun. He's a history major. He should have known more what we were walking into, Mm -hmm. but he didn't. So So we came to Grace, and we came in, and we were like, okay. And I went back to work, and I'm like, all right, 
back to Escana. This is a cool, cool place. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to go back. Um, and when we came back, they had those cards. The connection cards. The, the ca- yep, the cards. And so we started writing on there because yeah. we were struggling with infertility. Mm. So we were married probably five, seven years. And um, we wanted to have babies, no luck. Um, and I kept writing on there, trying to conceive, mm. trying to have kids. And we'd come back every week. And after a couple weeks, I get this phone call, probably before caller ID, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was um, Tom Lose. And he mm. said, hey, he said, I just want you to know that um, we've been getting your cards and we're reading them and we're praying for you and we have wow. a life group. Would you come? Whoa. Go so Tom. I hang up and I go to my husband. And he's like, I'll go, but I'm not talking. <laughs> mm, yeah, I feel like that's the conversation most couples have when it yeah. comes to a life group. Yeah, and he's like, and I, but he doesn't talk much anyway, so that's no surprise. <laughs> he says that's why he married me. Mm. So we went to Tom and Aaron's life group and um, got connected, and we were there every week. And um, people are praying for us and really surrounding us and develop some fun friendships. I'm like, wow, these people are cool. Like, mm-hmm. like loving Jesus, like actually is kind of cool. Yeah. Like <laughs> it can be fun. Yeah. Sure like, game nights and pizza yes. nights and movie nights yes. and all that happens. And it's like, I'm not, a, I'm not an evening person. The sun goes down. I'm ready for bed, <laughs> but like, okay, we'll be there. Mm-hmm. So lots of fertility treatment, Audrey, like that's another, another painful part. Very painful. Um, and that's hard, and it's exhausting, and it's emotionally agonizing, Absolutely. and it's up and down. And um, finally, after lots of treatment, we get pregnant with twins. Mm. And so this is in, I want to say, 2009. Um, and I was um, working in the ER at Altman and 12-hour shifts on my feet, um, having lots of back pain, just mm. thought it's part of being pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. Until the pain got so bad that um, I grabbed my uniform, went into work at, you know, the middle of the night and finally walked up to labor and delivery. I'm like, I am hurting. Um, here I was dilated to six oh my and I was miscarrying. Oh, no. 20 week twins. No. So I called Frank and Mana, my old neighbors, mm. and she's like, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. You know, you're not going to lose them. And I'm like, I'm going to lose them, Mana. Mm. Like I'm 20 weeks. I'm dilated to six. And I firmly believe that this is how long they were supposed to be here. Mm. Like, he knit us together in our mother's womb, and they have a purpose. And this is it. Mm. <laughs> so, wow, what peace. Like, that's incredible in the moment, not to reflect back. And yeah, that, but. and this is in the middle of the night. And I, I, to be honest with you, actually, Jason came with me because it was right after Father's Day. So now they think about it. I remember I brought my uniform. Like, I was going to go get... Yeah, like, so I never, I went in to go to work, and he was with yeah. me, I think. Yeah. And um, what happened is I had an infection that, like, 1% of pregnant people get, of oh course, <laughs> called chorioamnionitis. And um, they were boy and girl twins, which we thought, but weren't totally sure, mm. at 20 weeks. And it was in the top placenta, which pushed both of them out. Um, and so we get up there, and right away, you know, the residents, like, you have an infection, doctor comes in he's like you need to abort and I'm like okay I'm not aborting you're gonna hang me for my toes you're gonna send me to the mm-hmm. unit you're gonna do whatever you can but don't use that word yeah that's <laughs> do you know yeah. what I've been through to have these yeah. kids um and so probably six hours later um I gave birth to 
twins and they were probably a half hour apart because like I said, I was sick. I was sick. I had blood transfusions. Because um, your body had to deal with this infection. Yeah, because I was in shock. Um, and even in, at 20 weeks, that's fully formed, yeah. fully formed. And I remember Jason sitting there saying, Amy, what's going to happen? And now, mind you, you know, I'd been a nurse, graduated yeah. since 2000. And I said, well, they're going to live and they're going to die. <laughs> oh my and gosh. Yeah, so vividly remember having these babies. And um, shortly after that, the first people to walk in <laughs> were Tom and Aaron Los. Oh, wow. And they weren't expecting this. Like, they got the call. You're in the hospital and she's losing these babies. She had no idea what she was walking into. Mm. Old neighbors came, mm. and then my dad came. Oh, wow. And my dad comes in, and he immediately kissed me on my forehead, and he said, God has a plan. I'll never forget that, ever. Yeah, because that Because I never heard my dad yeah. talk about God. Um, and just a sidetrack for a moment, his story, he lost his mother and his sibling at five years old. She had, I think they say toxemia is what it was called then. So um, she went to the hospital, had the baby, and they both died. And so I think he remembers, you know, getting shifted off, raised by an aunt. Mm -hmm. And here he is walking in to his daughter. And I'm sick and I'm miscarrying. And they knew the struggle we had been through. Yeah, They didn't know a lot. We kind of had kept it private in Mm -hmm. the beginning just because it was so discouraging, calling, keeping everybody updated. Thanks. On, um, oh. Didn't work again, right? Mm. Um, so we um, stayed in that hospital room. And I think one of the hardest, another hard moment in my life was, um, it, it was it was amazing, Audrey, because we sat in this room and I'll never forget the glow and the feel and seeing my husband walking around holding these babies. Like he was so proud. It was the kind of the oddest thing yeah. because they were 20 week yeah. <laughs> embryo. I mean, they were, you know, yeah. babies, but they were not viable. And he just had such a pride in him mm. and this glow and family came and they visited us and surrounded us. And I had to go to surgery because, um, they had to do, um, a DNC because yeah. there's infection. Yeah. And when I wake up in the recovery room, um, Ryan Rodeman was at my bedside. Mm, and again, it? I'm like, who are these people? Yeah. This is this is incredible. Like, you've got to be kidding me. That's the family. That's the family. It's the spiritual that's grace. family. Like that's your grace. neighbors were. Yeah, that's yep. the grace. The life groups are n- the new yeah, yeah. biblical family. And these people continued to surround us and pick us up and pray for us and support us. Um, we decided to have a service for them because mm. we were like, what do we do with this? And Ryan kind of recommended mm-hmm. like for our healing and for peace and yes, to recognize like mm-hmm. they were babies, they were born, mm-hmm. breathing and alive. Mm. Um, and so we had a funeral home come at midnight and hand them over, which was hard yeah, because we knew like <laughs> they were gone, but it was also, oh my gosh, like, do you know what we went through to go through this? Mm-hmm. Do you know I was a walking hormone for two years probably wow. to get to this point? Yeah. And now they're gone? Yes. Like, what do yeah. I do? Where do I start over? Like, I remember I refused a wheelchair when I left. Like, 
my hemoglobin's low. <laughs> like I was getting blood and I'm like, I'm walking out. I'm walking out. I'm not doing a wheelchair because one, I know it sits in these wheelchairs. <laughs> and two, I, I don't have a baby in my lap. I'm walking out empty-handed. You're also putting lipstick on in a big girl outfit and being strong. Yeah. Like you were when you were a teenager. It, yep. I had to like be strong. Just like you were when you put, packed your nursing outfit yep. on to go to the, go check things out, but then go to work. And then go to work. You were marching on and <laughs> yeah. being strong. Tough. I don't have a lot of compassion. You know why? Because <laughs> you have to be strong. Um, and so we had five days. Ryan was like, okay, you're, we're going to have a service. And you and Jason are going to talk, and you have five days to prepare this, mm. and we did, um, as we're saying. And it was mm. just in that small area. Ryan gave an amazing speech, mm. and people came, um, and we honored yeah. the life that we had for yeah. the short time. The dreams and the, the hopes dr- yes. and the joy. And this empty nursery that although I was only 20 weeks, it was done because yeah. we spent a lot of t- And we didn't have kids. What did, that's what you did, mm-hmm. you know? And I was so excited. Um, we came home and got through that and probably a month later, I went right back into the fertility treatment, which was way too soon, but I'm very impatient Mm. (laughs) and I'm very determined. Mm. And so we did two, um, more failed cycles. And after that, I was like, I'm done. I want my body back. Mm -hmm. I'm a walking hormone. I want to run on the treadmill and drink Diet Mountain Dew, which is Mm. the beverage of all champions. (laughs) (laughs) Diet Mountain Dew? Diet Mountain Dew. What? (laughs) In water. (laughs) That's something I've never heard before. I'll have to try. Oh, my gosh. Not coffee. (laughs) And so I said 12 weeks. I just let me be. And I spent those 12 weeks... um, just kind of diving into God's word, into the life group, into our um, family, focusing on work and just being like, where do we go? Mm-hmm. And Jason came to me and he's like, one more try, please. Mm. And I said, okay, but I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. No pun. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about this medical <laughs> procedure you're, you're explaining here. I was like, I'm not just doing that. We're going to adopt too. Mm. So... <laughs> We just dumped all kinds of time and money, and so we um, went back into fertility, and we started the adoption process. Wow. And so I took the adoption class that Grace offered, Mm. and we went down to Columbus and went through the home study and the paper and did the whole thing Mm -hmm. because I was like, we're going to come out ahead one way or another. (laughs) You sound like a planner. Yeah. And like, like, did you run your whole life this way? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I believe it. I was like, I am not going, I'm not going to deal with another loss. Yeah. Like it was a protective measure as well. Yeah. It was. It was. And I just thought I you know, I'll say this. All of the infertility was me, not my husband. Okay. My body. Um, never once did my husband ever make me feel like marriages separate over infertility. Absolutely. People divorce. Never once did I ever feel this is your fault. Mm. $20,000 probably mm-hmm. plus adoption, another five, like a lot of overtime, mm-hmm. a lot of extra work. And he never once was like, he, I was like, I'm done. Let's adopt. Okay. You know, he was just like, we'll get a baby one way or another, but I never felt that it was my fault. He and, never, yeah. and, and I always knew that and I appreciated it, 
but I also think he just didn't know what to do because mm-hmm. you're just a crying, emotional, walking right, hormonal the walking hormone <laughs> is probably not easy to deal with as well in right. addition to all that stuff. Oh, my stuff. gosh. I, mean, I was on so much stuff, so much stuff. Um, like I literally had the doctor tell me, you will never conceive. You need a surrogate. Mm-hmm. And like hearing those words over the phone. I remember I was at work. I cried the entire time cried all the way home and then I got ticked because I'm like you're not going to tell me I can't do something mm-hmm. and that's what made this so hard is that I was so determined but it was so out of my control yeah there's a nothing control we can again. do yeah. yeah I'm like I'm like eating pineapple and going mm-hmm. to acupuncture and like all this crap that like <laughs> yeah. does any of it even work mm-hmm. um so like I said we started more fertility we started adoption um and eventually got pregnant with twins again. And at 18 weeks, I was working a low, like they kind of moved me out of the ER and put me in a little project secretively, like, okay, we got to keep her off her feet. Yes. Yes. But yet knew that I had to work and they said, um, um, lay low as much as you can. And so I was very cautious and had lots of restrictions and I'm walking out. It was literally on my birthday in July. I'm like, I just don't feel right. I I'm not cramping. I'm not bleeding. I do not have a good instinct. Mm. And I walked to their maternal fetal medicine docs who were absolutely amazing, like absolute saints. All the way through this, they were. And I said, I need check. And he said, okay, mother's instinct. And so Mm -hmm. he scanned me. Babies are good. Fluid was good. Got dressed, started to walk out. And he said, you know what, do a vaginal ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And he did that. And my problem was um, incompetent cervix. And there I am starting to like labor Hmm. right in front of the ultrasound and I have a baby's head right over and it's literally like opening closing opening closing and I'm laying there going 18 weeks here I go yeah here I go and I was angry because I'm like I suck my body is failing me I can't get pregnant I can't stay pregnant you've got to be kidding me the fear the anxiety Mm -hmm. etc he put me flat on bed rest at 18 weeks (laughs) 18 weeks when viability is 24 Mm. was not allowed. I mean, basically lay flat, take heparin shots, take medicine to prevent. And I made it to 35 weeks. Good. Goodness gracious. (laughs) 17 weeks of grace people coming over, bringing meals. My dad and my stepmom showing up to mow and scrub my floor. My neighbors coming over. Um, People driving to pick me up, to drive me down to Canton for biweekly doctor visits. I would brush my teeth in bed. Mm -hmm. I laid on the couch going, that candlestick is crooked, Mm. and I can't wait till someone comes over to straighten it because it's driving me nuts. Yeah, 17 weeks of everything that goes against your grain. Yes. Receiving help, not being able to give help, taking care, not giving care, completely out of control of everything. And that was the biggest thing because I, yes, I'm a doer, and having to accept all of that and being completely powerless, but also scared to death. I had just went through this traumatic experience. Less than a year? Less than a year. Less than a year. And we were in the adoption process Mm -hmm. at the same time. The social worker knew and said, I'm going to keep my mouth shut until you're at 24 weeks. Like she had an idea, but she's like, my lips are sealed because I know what you've gone through. Um. She probably wasn't supposed to do that, but I appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here I am in the same stinking boat. And I had had a cerclage, so which is where they another procedure that they 
do to prevent miscarriage. Yeah. But again, that ultrasound, I will never forget it. And I, my friend was the one doing the scan and I saw her mouth dropped and my mouth dropped and it was like, oh my gosh. So 17 weeks of this, um, complications, had to keep going in because I would be contracting and had um, something called cholestasis where my gallbladder and liver were clogged. Oh, well, now you're at risk of Goodness stillbirth, gracious. so we need to do this. Like, I mean, it was the worst 17 weeks so you So much imagine. intervention for somebody who I'm guessing is probably yes. a pretty natural person and believes yes. the body knows what it can do, yeah. which is why you got into nursing because yeah. you honored the body and thought God's design was perfect, and now yep. all this intervention. Yeah, lots. And a lot of the meds, and I didn't want to do that. And I was. Right. I mean, besides my diet, too, like, yes, very healthy, mm-hmm. <laughs> eating, exercising, all of that. Um, but I will say probably in those 17 weeks, there was maybe all but five days that I did not have somebody at our side. Mm. And my husband's in the midst of soccer season, mm. and he's traveling, and... And give him peace, too, to be able to do that yeah. and not feel right. the guilt on the other direction, right? right? Like he knows that you're well cared yeah. for. And it was very stressful for him because now everything is falling on him. Mm. Um, and there's nothing that I could do, but it was like my role was just to cook babies. Yeah. Don't move, cook babies. Because it was like one day in utero is three days in the NICU and mm. like <laughs> all these things. But all I could do, like, Audrey, that was my time that I was diving into my books and doing my devotions. Yeah. And I'm like, in a preacher stance, like sending daily emails to people because it just, I had nothing but peace. And I had so many people praying for us that I could do nothing but feel that God's protection over us. As much as I was scared, it would be like, yes, we're at 24 weeks. Yes, we're at 28 weeks. Like you're just counting each day. And then finally at 35, they're inducing me. Are you kidding me? Like, that's amazing. That's amazing. a miracle. And I think of all of that, my biggest soapbox is I can say that God took two and gave us four. Say more about that. <laughs> he always double blesses. Mm. So he took two, but he gave us four. Mm. And it wasn't easy, but it was faith and it was trust and it was surrender. And it was a lot of patience and a lot of being like, okay, this isn't our plan. It's yours. Mm-hmm. We're going with it. And wow. People feeding into us, mm-hmm. but now what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's one more part to my story, but what do I do with all of this? Like, do I sit and mope on it? Mm-hmm. Do I use these thorns and make them roses? Do I use my story to benefit people? How many times has Jeff said, everybody listens to the girl with cancer? Mm. Okay. I'm a nurse, and mm-hmm. now when I see someone coming in miscarrying, mm-hmm. who better understands than to say, I am sorry, I have been through this. Yeah, I am sorry in the ER. I am a family member of a suicide. Yeah, that compassion, the, yeah. the depth of compassion through real-life experience, I'm sure, is unmatched and so used. Right. Again, like that, um, I recently read this thing that said, Search for the treasure in the darkness. Oh. Isn't that an interesting statement? Yeah. Search for the treasure in the darkness. And there it is. There's treasure in the fact that you're able to tell somebody with genuine compassion, I know how you're feeling and I'm so sorry. Right. And that's a little piece of treasure. Yeah. But I think we have to be willing to do that. I mean, I feel like God gives us these trials 
to use for his purpose. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not sharing my story, if I'm not ministering to someone, if I'm not relating myself, I understand mental illness. Mm. I get it. I lived through it. I hate it. Mm. I hate it. Who else is going to listen? It's, it's going to be somebody that knows. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyhow, back to, (laughs) um, we, have Landon and Braxton, 35 mm-hmm. weeks, twins, um, only one week in the NICU, which was amazing. Wow. And I felt like immediately my goal was I am totally investing them into anything that Grace offers, mm-hmm. which is an incredible amount of um, options. Mm-hmm. Power Kids, the sports camp, the Bible camps. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have 360, we have Momentum, all of that. And it was like, these kids are yours. Mm. You gave them to us, yeah. and they did not come easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we are going to raise them to love you and serve you in every way that we can, mm-hmm. um, which I think is why we are also so um, strong believers of private school. We were private school kids, mm-hmm. and the sacrifice is real, but it is such a passion. Mm-hmm. I ha- It takes a village, mm-hmm. and I need healthy yeah. family yeah. and there's not a lot of healthy family. I feel like my husband and I are in a way cycle breakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's still a lot of dysfunction mm-hmm. and what other way than for grace and these teachers at their schools to be feeding into them right? And yeah. them learning biblical principles mm-hmm. is I need that. I need that support because be I'm not surrounded. Yeah, right? to be surrounded in the right way, surrounded right. at school, at home, at church, like the friendships then that grow and blossom, and the fellow parents yep. that you gain from their school relationships. All of that adds to your strength and your. It unit. is. Yeah, they are. They became our family, um, and then we'll say when Landon Braxton are um, five, we. At 38 and 40, get pregnant and have Carson and Nayla. I guess that's where the four is that I mm. left out. <laughs> gotcha. So now years of infertility, and we go back to the doctor, and she's like, you are the most fertile, infertile people I've ever met. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and there's our four more that miracles. I guess makes more sense. More yeah. miracles. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and that's where um, I can say that it was – not just a shock and a surprise, but also like, wow, like that wasn't part of our story that we ever mm-hmm. thought. Um, after that, actually it was in between Carson and Ayla. I'll add one more um, loss is that my husband and I had lost three parents in three years. Oh, wow. So his dad was 48 when he had him. At 88, he passed. 10 months later, his mom passed. And a year later, my mom. Wow. All between, before your second two children were born, like in between the times? Um, and- let's see. Yeah, it was between my father-in-law passed after Carson, and then his mom passed. And then we had Ayla, and my mom died when she was a year and a half, maybe. So a lot more transition, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Right. But no grandparents. Mm-hmm. And the word that f- settles with me is abandonment. Mm. So going through the tragic childhood Mm -hmm. and the losses and the grieving, when this happened as an adult, when you need parents and you need family, 
it was like one more loss. Yeah. I called Joe Caruso and I'm like, I need to talk with you. Yeah. (laughs) Like I need one hour of your time because I am sick of people being ripped out of my Mm -hmm. life. I'm sick of the loss. I'm sick of the grief. Um, and even though you're adults, you, it's, it's hard. Like you still always want and need your, your parents, your family. Yeah. And just them being involved and all of that. And so, um, I would say that would be another hard hit in our journey. Um, I did take the grief class, which was amazing, which I took it after we lost the twins. I probably need to take it again because it's an incredible book. And I think that it it benefited and helped me so much Mm -hmm. um, with with anything because I was, you know, grieving not just loss of twins, grieving healthy pregnancy, all of that. So many things. Kind of that grief sermon that we experienced here was not just loss of dream, loss of marriage, loss of there's so many ways. And the same thing with the AA you were saying. You could be addicted to many things and still experience those 12 steps to help you heal from anything. Yeah. And everybody can incorporate them in Mm -hmm. their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But then through, even through like the loss and the parents and that, I will say um, (laughs) Grace family again. Mm. Donnie Varney was at every one of those funerals. Serena was there. Mm. Um, Deb Curtis, like, I'm not trying to, it's Mm -hmm. not about name dropping. It's just showing, like, we're up in Cleveland, we're out in Maslin, and here you are. Mm. They're at our side. Um, Mm. At one moment, my husband was sick in the hospital, had blood clots in his lungs. Um, This was between... I don't know. I think it was right after my twins, but between Carson, he developed some clotting disorder mm. and was sick. First person walks in was Greg Chambers, one of our life group people. Mm. <laughs> and when I say this, I'm not saying it to elevate Grace. Like, mm. I want to emphasize okay. that. I am not elevating Grace. I had a friend say, oh, you're a cheerleader for Grace. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm a cheerleader for Jesus. Like, yeah. I'm showing that Grace is my people, yeah. that they love hard and that they pick us up and teach us how to rely on God. Like I remember two things Tom Lowe's told me was take all your emotions to God and Jesus is crying with you. Mm. And it was like, those are the people that are teaching and getting me through and not saying some cliche, stupid thing that (laughs) isn't helpful at all. They're biblically guiding us. It looks like Jesus with skin on Jesus, hands and feet of him. Right. It looks so much like him because that's what we're training to do, right? That's how we... um, learn and and we receive and then we give and we give and we receive and that's the beauty of a biblical family and of that community which is discipleship the next thing we're supposed to be talking right happens to be grace yeah happens to be here in this building but it's we know it's not a building right no it is a family and it's all it's the people that i call at 2 a.m besides my neighbor Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's the people who literally are there for the ups and the downs and that you can be real with and so, again, I do just want to make sure I'm emphasizing yeah. it's not them. It's it's Jesus working through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I say would say to fast forward, um, here we are, four kids, two different private schools, <laughs> um, both working, mm-hmm. not a real, you know, I have family, but they're not yeah. close. Sister in California, yeah. sister out in Maslin, Jason's family's in Hudson and Cleveland, um, but again, it's our CBCA, it's mm-hmm. our Grace family. Those are the people that are helping get my kids to school and home mm-hmm. from the events. Mm-hmm. And 
keeping us grounded mm-hmm. all the while. Um, and I think I, like I said before, I, like I said before, if I feel like I'm not sharing the gospel through my struggles, it's a waste. Like, I feel like God made me tough, a survivor, a fighter. I see that. And I don't have compassion. Like, Mm-mm. ask my husband when he's sick. I do feel bad for him that he's not getting a lot of TLC. Mm-hmm. It's like, jump on the treadmill, sweat it out. It works every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that I have such a platform mm-hmm. through infertility, eating disorder, suicide, grief of parents. Mm-hmm. I was honored to share my story. Mm. It's hard. This whole week brought up a lot of emotions and bringing back wounds and Mm -hmm. thinking, what can I say? What can I not say? Um, But if anything, I just want there to be hope for people. Um, I want there to be not, oh, wow, you've been through a lot, but look what you did. Look where you turned. Mm -hmm. Look at where you could have turned. Look at what you how things could have been. Right. And in that um, forum, Audrey, Mm. it talked about a favorite song. Mm. I have Jesus Jam on all the time, like on the treadmill, the podcast, the mixed message. I'm always playing my music. Yes. Um, I couldn't even think of a favorite song, but if I can say that there would be a verse that I would tattoo, Mm -hmm. it would be thy will, not mine be done. Okay. I truly feel that... Nothing in my life, trust me, I wanted. I didn't want to walk this path. I didn't want any of the pain, any of the struggles, but it's made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how God can work through me. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I think I want to say is um, I'm kind of touch base before. I'm just super adamant about and feel passionately about getting kids connected, Um, whether it be Grace or another good church. Mm -hmm. But getting kids connected, coming to my Catholic faith told me you were at church every week. You didn't miss Mm -hmm. being at church, getting them in the life groups. Like my boys look up to Dan and Gabe Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they come every week. Can we just, Amy, let's just take a moment because we have kids around the same age to imagine when they're 19 and 20 and they get to be the Gabes and Dans and they get to feed back into the younger. That's like this, it's a program, it's a system, it's all these things, but it's also the work of God that we get to be part of. Yes, exactly. I love to think about that kind of stuff. It is, but I also feel like if you aren't consistently coming to church with your kid, if you're not putting them in the camps and all the things that are Mm -hmm. offered and not investing they're not going to become that. And I know that not everybody is meant, like, right. of my twins, one might be in that role in mind, one might not. Yeah. Not saying that that's their path, but I also feel like this they, they this needs to become their family as well. Yeah, starting to build that now. So yes. it's a part of their life from right. young, young, and they didn't have to experience those years, those decades without it. Right. You know, you would say, what, in your 20s you got introduced into that and like really letting that be a stable part of your foundation. But if they, that starts at birth, right? what a different life. They, they don't know any different. It's this is what we do. This is a priority. And I'd say also, um, I'm trying to get my phone out so I can read a scripture here for us as well, because what you're saying about staying connected to the church, going to the church is reminding me of, um, like when to test me here, guys, uh, I never remember if it's John 5 or John 15, um, being connected to the vine. 
Oh, so I'm the vine. Yes, I'm I am the, the vine. You are the branches. Um, let's see. So it's fifteen five, I think. Bear with me, folks. Um, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am them will bear much fruit for you can do nothing without me. So thinking that, yes, grace is a place that we can remain in him for him to remain in us. Now that can happen through our studies at home and our personal time with Jesus and our devotionals right. and things like that. And it, But if we give the gift of joyful things that our kids can be involved in, what did you say about Life Group? It was so fun. It was cool people. Yeah. And I also learned so much about Jesus in the process right. that all came packaged in this really cool thing. That's awesome. But making sure that it's remaining in the vine yeah. and that vine is Jesus. It's not the sports camp, but it's Jesus there and right. his presence latching into these hearts. Um, in Ari's episode, she had mentioned early introduction and that, that just stuck with me oh, too yeah. for kids. Like if you have that early introduction, you don't have to unlearn or relearn and all that. It's just part of their life. And that's the gift that we get to give our kids through right. being raised here in the halls of Grace Church. Yeah. I love that. It is. I also want to tell you another uh, thing that somebody um, said to me recently when you were talking about not letting these pains go to waste. He said, um, I thirst, so I'll dig a well that all may drink. So just because oh, I'm thirsting, okay, this is a, an, I'm agonizing for something, but I do that. I, d- I do the hard work. I go through the agony of digging the well, not just so I can drink. But wow. so that others, others can may drink. drink as well. That and that's how, I, that's how I see yeah, your life. That is. So if that were a song, <laughs> then there, there, would be, there would be Rich, your song for the Ezra, playlist. Make it your sign. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, yeah. So um, any last final thoughts that you'd like to share um, as part of your journey here? I mean, this has been like the an amazingly moving conversation. Oh, um, Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And and I do want to say um, Amy has offered that if anybody is wanting to talk more deeply about any of these things, again, like she dug this well and it's for all that thirst to drink yeah. from. So um, if you're listening to this and you have experienced something, are experiencing something um, and want to talk more, whether it's someone here at Grace or Amy herself, we would love to connect with you so we can, um, in the in the notes of the episode, will be contact information that you can reach out to us and we'll get you connected to the right people. Because we genuinely, that's the whole goal of all this, is to take these stories and not let them go to waste, to find the treasure in that darkness. But it's also healing. Like, I got down on my knees before I came, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's not just, God, it's not just my story. Mm. It's your story. And it's like, watch out, renew. Here comes Audrey Wallace. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) It was therapy, planning, Mm -hmm. and speaking for this, that I feel like this is a part also of healing for me, that it's painful to think, but... Working, and I think that's where the 12 steps, mm-hmm. why they keep that cycle, mm-hmm. because you are keeping that spirit alive in myself yeah. by helping somebody else. Yeah, and you had said multiple times this story that you had nothing but peace. Like to even be able to say all these things mm-hmm. in this matter of less than an hour <laughs> and experienced peace within them. Yeah. You know, that is fingerprints of God on your life right. that you can give hope to somebody else because you've experienced it for real. Yeah. Well, Amy, thanks so much for your story. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, and I know that others are going to really be served by it as well. Good. Thank you. Thank you.